This is a Soulfire production. Today, you guys get to hear from my friend, Michael Farber, and he is the co-founder of Breakout, a community that champions changemakers all over the United States. Uh, he has a really, really cool story, and I'm excited for you to hear how Breakout came to be, Breakout's mission, vision, and new really cool initiatives, his perspective on what's going on in the world today, how white men can do their part, which is actually really relevant to every single person listening, no matter what your background is. We talk about what honest dialogue around these big topics look like, why pausing is so important versus reacting, and how we can all become better allies at this time, what that means, defining that. And he gives a lot of really great resources to start unpacking our privilege before we start taking steps to get involved. We're also going to link up, and he shares a lot of people he trusts to follow and to get behind, as so many people are excited to get their hands dirty and really make change at this time. So Michael is a true change maker. One of my favorite quotes that Breakout shares is, to connect with a community by engaging with it deeply is to truly know its people and its soul. I love that. So meet Michael, meet his mission, and see how uh, he inspires you to become a better ally and be a force for change. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Activate. I have my friend, Michael Farber here. He is the co-founder of an amazing organization called Breakout. Can you share with us your story and how this came to be? Yeah, so good to see you. Gosh, is it, it's like, I, I know some of us are feeling a little bit over Zoom, but like I haven't seen you in so long. And it's, it's like just such a treat. Uh, so thanks for, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, we launched Breakout in 2014. So we've been at it for about six years. And, you know, for us, when we started it, the, the word breakout was, uh, was kind of simple. We didn't, you know, I think some people, there's different ways of starting a business. You either just crash into it or you take a lot of time and thoughtfully think it through. Uh, we, <laughs> yeah. were the, we were the former. We just started bringing people together under this basic concept of a lot of us are in bubbles and silos within whatever our discipline and kind of area of work is. And that we started in New York City. And I just was like, you know what? Like, I, you know, I'm an kind of more on the entrepreneurial tech side at the time. Um, well, I guess tech and real estate. But I don't know, you know, I have some finance friends, I have some nonprofit friends, I have some marketing friends. No one knows it anymore. Um, and I know that each one of them is much bigger than what their job title defines. They all have different hobbies. Some are artists, some are you know, working in education on the side, whatever that is. And so the mindset was, you know, we started it right as I was turning 30. I was like, over the next five to 10 years, as we kind of like really come into our own as leaders, who knows where people are going to end up? You know, the person who's the real estate person today could be the artist tomorrow. The artist today could be, you know, uh, a musician tomorrow or whatever it is. But there's something to be said about creating like really strong bonds around like who people are and what they stand for. So that was the initial kernel, right? That we were working with very quickly. Uh, we recognized that we were bringing together this really great group. And so the way our platform was events, right? So we started bringing people to 
Miami and New Orleans and Detroit and Baltimore, which were our first four events, just as a way to like get people out of their typical routine and environment um, and, you know, putting their phones down, putting their laptops down, getting out of that work mode and having the opportunity to meet, you know, people. But we soon were like, wait, we're bringing all these great people together into these cities, but they actually, for the most part, don't know people in some of these places we're going to, or they only know it in a very touristy, superficial manner. Um, and as we were prepping for these events very early on, we started to meet, you know, impactful leaders on the ground who were telling their stories to us. And we're like, wait, maybe we should have you featured as a part of this event because we weren't creating a, tra a traditional conference. We didn't want to have panels. We wanted to have really intimate, thoughtful, like peer-led discussions. That was the initial kind of feel to it. But by the second and third event, um, that was what, kind of what the first event was. But the second and third event in New Orleans and Detroit, we kind of flipped it on its head and created almost like this TED Talks meets the streets feel environment. So it was like, how do we have inspiring storytellers but do nothing in a hotel do everything in the areas that they work and bring in the local community that they're working with for us to kind of learn and work together. And so that was in 2014. And we've been on this crazy journey. And, you know, I'll, there's so much <laughs> to add to it. But the short story, especially within the world that we're living in right now, is I have all sorts of like entrepreneurial stories and hacks and things and do not do's. But my story at the end of the day is a white guy who started this like event community platform that by accident fell into a journey of race uh, with himself and within the challenges he was building. And so I like to say I've unlearned just as much, if not more than I've even learned within the process, within my relationship to race in America. And that's been a, a big thing for us um, within the stories that we tell. Uh, the content we put forward, um, and the grants we give through our foundation arm. I'll never forget my my co-founder and I, we we flew into Detroit into a snowstorm and I want to say it was in uh, beginning of November in 2014. And we were going to meet with uh, the Quicken Loans folks and Shinola and a few other groups that just talk about, you know, could we do an event there? We'd never been to Detroit, but it was all in, it was all over the newspaper, right? They they had just declared the biggest bankruptcy in U.S. history: fifty thousand abandoned homes, people not being able to pay for their water bills. I mean, it was just like terrible clickbait, just kind of they called it like almost like trauma porn, if you will. Um, and then we get there, and you know, meeting after meeting was with individuals who had just all these amazing stories of the work that they were doing and this like ingenuity of how they were thinking through creating impact in all sorts of different ways. And it was just a light bulb moment for us. And not to say that we weren't kind of noodling internally already, but it was just, maybe it wasn't the light bulb moment, but it was really the, the turn, the true turning point for us. And it's like, this is what we have to stake our company about. If we have this opportunity to bring together these unbelievable young entrepreneurs, creatives, thought leaders together, the focus has to be these stories. Um, but as you probably know, you know, Detroit's like 82 to 85% African-American and, you know, I'm this white guy running around and pretty much every single meeting I'm meeting with or with different, you know, black people in the community and a bunch of people were like, so why are you doing this? Right. You know, you know <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, and yeah, I'd be like, well, you know, 
Um, there's so much, you know, we're excited to learn from you and bring this great group of entrepreneurs and I hope you, you know, there's learnings that you can have together and blah, blah, blah. And they were just like, okay. <laughs> and you know, the, the long and short of it is it wasn't that anything I was saying was necessarily like totally off, but here's a community that has for so long seen white people as people who've taken advantage of them, who have abused the system. Uh, who've made false promises, who left their community after the uprising in the 60s, um, you know, all these different things. So for me to come in, not even live in the community and say, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, it was like, I don't believe you. Um, and it hit me pretty hard, uh, not in the way of like, oh, like, woe is me, but I was just like, wow. I was like, I, I've kind of run through life with this way of just people just taking me at my word. And suddenly that is just totally upside down. And I had to take a step back from that uh, and kind of really look at my privilege in a, in a pretty big way. And so I started kind of doing a lot. I was living in, in New York City at the time, but I started doing a lot more work locally, just thinking through, you know, just with the people I met and like having conversations both locally. But we prepped for about eight months in Detroit. So I was going there like one to two weeks a month for eight months. And I would say what we did in the beginning is something that I hope that white people that are trying to step into the work now are also doing. Because what I'm seeing a lot is there's a lot of white people ready to mobilize. And that's good. That's great. Like for those who are like, I don't need to get woke. I'm all in. What do I do? <laughs> I can volunteer. I can do this. I can do that. That's all well and good. But what I know I learned early on in my Detroit journey was it wasn't, even though I was in a way spiritually ready and like mentally ready, I had to start just showing up in places and not sharing and just asking questions, but like not in a way of like asking the most one-on-one question, like actually showcasing that I had done my homework, that I was doing reading, that I was reading articles, that I was reading books, and then coming in with at least some layer of understanding to like dig a little bit deeper to not, to not like waste people's time, quite frankly. Um, and so there was a bunch of months of just, it got to a point where I remember people started just seeing me at coffee shops and places all the time. They're like, wait, you moved to Detroit? <laughs> and then suddenly it became almost like what was like frosty, then suddenly turned into like, oh, like you, you, you got to meet my friend over here. And then like, suddenly I was like part of the crew. Um, but something I always think about is like under promise and over deliver. Beautiful. And that was a big thing that I think I learned in the process. And certainly I hope people are realizing right now, you know, black people aren't looking for every white person to make every statement of all the things they can do right now. That's not, that's not exactly what people want. They, what they really want is understanding a transference of power within the systems and really also recognizing the floor that can be changed in a different way. So I think for us, that was a big learning point for me and also recognizing you know, a lot of people expect entrepreneurs to be these Steve Jobsian and Elon Musk characters. You got to be on the stage. You have to have your your look. You have to have these <laughs> these great talking points. And early on, I was like, "Well, that you know, that's this hero culture that we've purported to in such a big way." But we're not going to fix these things. You know, Obama was our president. We had a black president. That didn't fix life. We, it was not like racism was over. Um, which is a whole other concept, which you're, I'm sure all your listeners are like, yeah, we know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, it, it's all about how do we work as a collective, right? It's the only way we're actually going to get things done. Um, and so with the way we do programming, like you, you come to our events or you look at our Instagram or you see our content, you'll pretty much never see me on anything. You know, you go to a breakout event, it's our community leading programming. They're leading circles. They're leading talks. And that was, you know, very much on purpose because we recognized that it had to be that way. If we were going to really think about how are we going to bridge different people from different communities and tough conversations, the true leaders and thought level experts have to be the one leading it. And that's certainly not necessarily me. What I am good at is building systems and figuring out a way to bring people together. But I'm, and I do think I have a lot to say on these issues, but by no means does that make me the expert. Um, and I think that was actually really empowering. And I remember people early on, they're like, you need to do more speaking and this and that. And I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not there yet. Um, and I do think at this point I am ready, but my lane really is speaking to other white people and in particular really white men, because that is the, the lane I can truly own. Um, from a, a perspective of this is what I've learned, this is what I've gone through, um, and this is what I think you should be looking at within your own journey. Wow. Wow. So much there. And I just really want to acknowledge you for your willingness to do that work, do that unpacking, pause, and realize your position. I think it's just, that is power giving other people voices, right? And, and I, I'm, I'm very, very excited for you to start sharing now. It is your time to start sharing now. It is very important that we hear your voice now. And there's probably a lot of white men listening to this. Is there anything that you haven't shared that you want them to know? Actually, there's a lot of white male entrepreneurs listening to this that you didn't just share. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's so many different places to start. But I, I already, I mean, my number one thing, which I did say, especially for like the white male entrepreneur who's so used to like having great ideas and, and wanting to get to work and wanting to solve things, which is, it's not necessarily about you in this instance to solve everything. Mm. It doesn't mean that your skills won't be highly useful. Um, but I really want all the white men out there to be in solidarity, obviously, to obviously find ways within their business or their work to, you know, check their own power and, you know, lift people up. Obviously, the obvious things everyone's talking about, like figuring out your boards, figuring out how you're hiring people, where you're buying. But I really want people to just do a little bit more work. Like we were talking offline. I'm, I don't want people to be shamed. This is not about shaming. And I think white people should shaming other white people way more in this instance. But like, I do think the all, like you kind of referenced an all lives matter. I might feel differently than you on this one. To me, that's like a 101 question that if you do just a simplest Google search, like you can find. And I, I really want people to recognize that the work that they put into building their startup, they can put in a one one hundredth of the effort into race and still be quite far ahead. Because once they start doing the work, they'll see that it's so abundantly obvious that they won't want to stop. It's like, st stop listening to me right now and just go read like Stamp from the Beginning by Ibram Kendi, right? Go read D. Watkins, like we speak for ourselves. Like just start doing a few of these things. It'll take you a few hours and I guarantee you, you will 
be like, where was I the past 10, 20, 30 years of my life and not knowing these things? And you'll be off to the races. And I'm not saying it's that simple, but there is a little self work to be done before you get to go into action mode. Um, and that's like the biggest thing. I think white men are like, we're like the worst perpetrators because we're so used to like, especially if you're a founder, you're like, I have ideas. I dictate things. I know how to set things up. So you need to be more efficient here. Who are we talking about with fundraising? I have this connection. Why don't you talk to this person? It's like time the fuck out. <laughs> so. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for that perspective. And it might seem obvious, but maybe right it's first. not. Maybe it's not. So we can link up a bunch of resources. Maybe you can send me your top five, but are there any that you want to share here that people should be paying attention to right now? I know you've been championing other black voices for a long time now, over six people, years. People, individuals, businesses. All of any of it. Any people that you're like, listen, we need to pay Is attention. This is predominantly Chicago listeners. LA, Chicago, all over. God, there's so many di- directions. It's almost like pick a lane. Um, you know, I think the thing, it's funny. I, I'm sure you feel the same way. I have so many white friends like hitting me up being like, so what do I do? So I, for instance, I like, I had a friend who used to work with me at like our real estate media company. I was like, how many black people on your panels? He's like, none. I was like, great. That's your actual job. Start there. Like start within the areas that you can actually like affect power. Most people aren't going to be an activist. And by the way, like, I, I do want people to still post because there's something to be said about the loudness when you, you see just so many people posting. It doesn't mean, though, that you need to be like posting five times a day and suddenly become an activist. No one's a- asking you to be the full frontline activist. That's not everyone's lane. Within like a movement, there's different areas to be in. But um, I don't know. I've been really excited to see. Uh, groups and organizations just, I mean, you do stuff within the wellness industry. Just, I, I love seeing the lists that are coming up within just like, you know, black women in wellness. So like one of our grantees, Nikawi, she has something called Naya, uh, N-A-A-Y-A. And I, I can put up a list for all these different things. Um, another woman that I just came across, she has Dive In Well that you might know in LA that I think is really great. Um, Ethel's Place is kind of blowing up their uh, private black co-working space in Brooklyn. I think they went from like 10,000 followers to 200,000 followers, which is like amazing. This is someone who like no one wanted to really like invest in before. And now people are seeing the value, which is to say that white LPs who dictate 98% of venture funds are now realizing that they have this enormous customer base that they've been ignoring for forever and ever. So I don't know. I I don't know. It's hard to give like a a swooping, like, you need to do this, need to do that, because everyone's in their different area. But I would just say that, I mean, there's just like the obvious homework. Like I mentioned Ibram, I meant, I didn't mention like Nicole Hannah Jones, but like, read the 1619 Project. Um, I, 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 there's this woman, I totally forget her name. I think her book's called The Color of Money. But I saw her saying something and it was, and it was basically like, something around like, I'm over white fragility, let's have like power fragility. Mm. Um, and it's like, I want people to be outraged about like school board elections, you know, like that's really, you know, our biggest power at the end of the day is, and the thing that's like the front lines that like most white people, I think right now posting don't want to talk about is like, is schools, right? It's like where our kids go, you know, uh, are our taxable dollars only going to our neighborhoods or are they going to an equitable fashion? So 
by the way, that's something that for some people listening might hurt their kids in the short term, right? Within like dollars, like that's, that's the hardest line to cross, right? What are we actually going to do for equity? Um, and I would say that doing some reading around that in the homework that it takes is like the biggest chapter outside of just like, I'm in solidarity for Blake Loves Matter because I believe that you shouldn't judge anyone. And of course you shouldn't judge anyone, but like, that's like the simplest, like, layer of what this is uh and it's when the things that we really need are that kind of deeper layer of checking our own power wow i love that you know something that i admire so much about you is your journey to becoming what i would consider an ally and i think that that term's being thrown out right now kind of like another buzzword but Outside of, you know, the books and the research, what does an honest conversation look like right now? And what does being an ally look like to you? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And, you know, it is a buzzword. I know some people like feel different ways. And, you know, I don't know all the right words. So I'm, I'm just going to be very honest. I know some people say they prefer accomplice. That means you're more leaned in. Whatever your definition, I understand how you're using it, which is you are stepping into this role of how you kind of work against injustice. I mean, look, I've heard from so many people who've been having conversations with lifelong Black friends of theirs that in their minds, they were like, well, I, I grew up with Black people. They were my friends. So like, I can't be racist, which is actually a really interesting thing because it actually created like a total laziness to your not understanding that it's not about being like, saying the n-word but it's actually being anti-racist and and i think that's been like this big the, the biggest thing and i even even though I, i've been so happy to see and i'm sure a bunch of your listeners are already on board that i'm sure you all have friends who you're seeing like putting that like i've never had a racist bone in my body and of course i'm like let's end racism and it's like well it's not necessarily about ending racism it's about like working towards like anti-racist systems so to me like i think that's like the biggest Thing. So some people right now are all up in arms are like defund police is a bad slogan. It's not going to work. Some people want abolition. Some people just want less money. And I think that's potentially right. But once again, I think what's happening and I'm seeing a lot is a lot of white voices are already like having issue with what a lot of black voices are using as the language. And I'm not to say, look, I have my feelings on whether it's right or wrong. I actually don't know. Because there's part of me that my knee jerk was, oof, we have a moderate like political system. I don't, maybe that is too hard, even though I do want it totally funded and reappropriated in a new capacity. But once again, the tough work about doing this is actually taking a step back and not being the leader for once in your life. So even if you don't fully agree with the way something's being done or said, it's letting someone else run with it for a moment in time. That is checking your own power. Beautiful. Beautiful. So what's Breakout doing? I know you you briefly shared how Breakout came to be, but I am obsessed with the movement. I actually bought tickets to, I believe it was Chicago, and then I had a public speaking event, so I couldn't attend. And I'm still, I cannot wait to attend because I understand the heartbeat and just, it's it's the coolest thing ever. Like, teach us, tell us about Breakout and how's Breakout getting involved? Yeah. So we've done about 16 like signature flagship events over the past six years, which are like multi-day experiences. So that's 
Tulsa, Philly, Chicago. We were about to do Newark, COVID, put the brakes on that. We will <laughs> be back online at some point. Uh, but anyway, we've done programming all around the country. We've done all sorts of different hyper-local programming. And, you know, our, our kind of northward compass is like, how do we champion change makers, right? And so, you know, that has evolved into, you know, creating this, this system, this network of resources, support, and platforms. So the platforms are obviously the events being the main one. Um, we now do original content, which we've been doing for about two and a half years, which is like festival level films and also kind of like shorter commercial work. And then we created a 501c3 um, grant making arm about also two, two and a half years ago, where we just gave our 67th grant uh, totaling $99,750. Or seven, $99, so we'll just call it a clean $100,000. Um, and those have been these amazing like micro grants, um, anywhere between $1,000 and $5,000. they are unrestricted, which means that we don't ask people what they do with it. They can pay bills. They can take themselves to a nice dinner. They can pay rent. They can put it towards their entity. Whatever they want, the whole point is we're giving money to people by and large who don't have access to friends and family. And we know that self-made is a fucking myth. I'm sorry, I keep cussing. I don't know if F-bombs are It's allowed. all good. I feel very strongly about the, the, the term self-made. Uh, obviously, a lot Would of- Would you like people, to expand on that? <laughs> well, because nothing is really self-made in this world. One, white people have been able to start leaps and bounds further ahead in a system because of all the different reasons of economic- yeah. Third base. Third base all day. So, And it doesn't mean that a bunch of people, white or not, didn't work super hard. But if we all really take an honest look back and see all the different moving pieces within it, it's just, it's just, that's not like a real term. Um, Thank you. I agree. But uh, so many of our individuals, and most of our grants go to Black and Latinx individuals, um, most of them don't have access to friends and family capital. And we know that most successful nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurs have access to at least an initial group of people they can ask for money to test an idea out. So our grants are like these, like almost like mini seed investments, but without taking equity. We say, hey, here's some money. You're amazing. Te like, keep us updated. Let us know how we can help. Um, and what we did actually in the past a year and a half, which has been a game changer for us, is we actually took it all to Instagram. So originally we were, we, we had a big enough network from the events. You know, we had a few thousand people in the network. We knew we were doing great work that we were kind of almost like surprising them with checks. But we we're like, you know what? How about all the people we're missing? It's a big, it's a big call out for philanthropy that they're just not deep enough in the community. And we're like, we're pretty deep. Still doesn't mean we're going to get everyone. So every month we do these challenges where we give, you know, $2,500 to $5,000 away and, you know, and these like one to $2,500 pods. And, you know, we'll do something on wellness. We'll do something on education and our people from around the country who we've gotten to know who are community leaders themselves. All they do is tag someone in the comments. And then that person's automatically enrolled in that month's com like competition. I have so many people to tag. Yeah, I'm so excited! <laughs> I just got really excited. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be tagging away. It's it's really cool. Anyone listening, like, please follow us. It's just at Breakout. It's honestly the easiest thing you can do. And we highlight people online. They now have this amazing great T network. And then we also like make sure that we get them in some way, shape, or form scholarship to like one of our main events. So then they have access to this bigger family, which usually in the long run, they find even more important than the money, but money is important and it needs to be a starting point. So that's what we're doing in essence. The most recent thing that we worked on that was kind of 
at least pretty high profile for us was we completed a short film that we filmed last year on our friend Leon Ford. Leon um, was shot and paralyzed by the Pittsburgh police in 2012. It was a huge story in Pittsburgh. It got some national news, but like, you know, just the zeitgeist of stuff wasn't as big as it is now, clearly. Um, he was pulled over uh, by the police. They thought he was another person, he was 18 years old. And they started getting really aggressive. And what the police do, what they do, a bunch more police showed up and he panicked. And he pulled away as like kind of one police officer who was in the window kind of like fell off. But what he didn't know was there was another police officer coming in and he shot him point blank. I have no idea how he survived, but shot him point blank five times and paralyzed him. And when he woke up in, you know, the hospital fighting for his life, he was handcuffed. And the police actually tried pressing charges against him. And he had to go to court to fight charges to not go to jail for 20 years. So anyway, he ended up becoming this big activist, you know, kind of person in town. He actually came to the Chicago event that you missed. Oh, dang it. It's Leon. I'm so <laughs> yeah, sad. He, he's a star. He's at Leon Ford Speaks. You all can follow him. He's hyper inspirational. But he was running for city council last year. And, and um a young filmmaker who we've worked with reached out to me and said, do you know this guy, Leon? Go, That's so funny. I came to one of our events. Um, he's like, well, do you think he'd want to do something with us? And I was like, well, you know, let's reach out to him. And he was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm interested. And so like him and the director and myself were chatting for a few months and he was doing like a, he was doing some, uh, some stuff for his city council run. So we're like, you know, we're not a political organization. It's not, we don't want to do a political film, but like, It'll be good. Be real. We'll we'll do something around it, right? It's you're 25 years old. This is this is inspirational. So we went out there, and something was off with him, and we weren't sure. But he was just, you know, he. I know he had told us he'd gone to a meditation retreat. He said he'd been working on his wellness. Obviously, I mean, he's been through hell and back. Um, and when we arrived, he was just like, I don't even know if I can go through with this. I don't know how I'm feeling. And we're like, well, if you want us to like not film, we're okay. And he was like, no, 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 like. Let's let's do this. And so we filmed this first scene uh, where he's speaking with a, a youth group of his that he works with. And it was unbelievable. The second scene we did, we we went to um, a new therapist, but he had never been to this therapist before. And our director took kind of a risk of like just putting the cameras in the therapy scene and the therapist said she'd be OK with it. And he ended up quitting his his city council run in the therapy session <laughs> And talking about all the unworked trauma that he hadn't worked with and how and like how he'd been wearing this mask and how he needed to choose himself. And he literally broke down. And so we, we left the film and we, we walked down. He, he, he literally forgot we were in there. It was me, our director of photography and our director in a corner on little mics, like watching the filming and like looking at each other like, oh, my God. And so this film ended up becoming it's like a 14 minute short film that we put out that we did a mini festival run. It it's out on the Atlantic. It's out on Blavity. It was a Vimeo staff pick. Uh, and it's all about his mental health journey. So we put it out for Mental Health Month in May. And the week we put it out, all the, the, the footage with Ahmad Arbery came out. Wow. And we're like, so we actually have dash cam footage of him getting shot in our film. Although it's not really about police brutality, but it's, it's, it's really about trauma and healing. But we're like, this is insane. It's like, you know, police brutality is always an issue, but I mean, the, the, the loudness to which the week we just happened to put it out was pretty remarkable. Um, 
so anyway, we created a whole mental health kit um, with, with Leon through like the books he read, the meditation he does, journaling to like his exercises, to drinking water, to social media vacation. So we're, we're starting to share it with educators, but it's really meant for anyone. Um, so yeah, that's been like a a pretty all encompassing, uh, project. Our events are on hold, but we are going to be rolling out a a whole new virtual series that we're working on. Um, that's going to be showcasing our entrepreneurs and impact leaders talking about the work that they're doing on the ground nationwide. Um, and then we we're just giving out a lot of grants. So that's kind of us right now in a nutshell. So cool. I'm really excited. Uh, for my nonprofit, which I haven't launched yet publicly, but to get behind a lot of these grants. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm really moved by who you fund and, and it's so important what you're doing. Um, is there anything else that you're seeing right now that you feel like gets to be addressed? Like just with what's going on in the world? Well, I mean, this, I, I'll say one thing. I, I don't know. I think it just came up to me because you mentioned your nonprofit. I think we're in an interesting place right now where it's really great seeing how involved everyone is. I have different feelings on corporations language and what they're doing, but I will say that I don't want people to forget that the loudest voices sometimes in the movement aren't necessarily the people that are doing the most work in the community. I know individuals who don't have big social media followings are literally the ones changing important local legislation all around the country for women's rights, for, you know, juvenile justice reform, all these different things. And so I would just be a little mindful with some of the loudest activist voices who, quite frankly, over the past five to six years, I always see their voices on the local level and I get it. Their their importance is really being like a beacon for just making sure people know kind of like the most fuzzy news. But when it comes to like the support of groups that are actually changing legislation or actually doing, you know, work on the ground, whether that's like workforce development, whether that's education, dig a little bit deeper to the groups that are just not as buzzy. Um, Cause those are the ones that are real. They've been there. They're doing it. And they've been hit really hard by COVID. They're not getting the donations that they were getting before. And now with with the Black Lives Matter movement, which is unbelievable, what I'm noticing, and I've even seen in my own conversations, is a lot of corporations have stopped giving to smaller groups because they feel like they have a gun to their head, that they have to only give to like the biggest organizations because it's like, they'll be okay. They, there will be zero blowback. So they're all giving to like the NAACP or the Black Lives Matter Foundation, all this stuff. Not saying that these aren't worthy places. They're doing good work. What I will say though, is the amount that they're getting, they were already pretty well-funded organizations and they definitely deserved more. But what's, what's happening and the byproduct of this is so many smaller groups that are like these key orgs to the places that you actually live are being really hurt. A lot aren't going to make it. So, you know, someone was asking me the other day, a buddy of mine who I knew in Chicago who moved to LA, and he was like, well, who should I give to? Should I give to the, like this or that? I was like, look, bail funds, always great. Those are bigger ones. I can't say enough, but I was like, you know, I, I love an organization that we've given a grant to called Save Money, Save Lives. Um, Londy Germain, Keeps Eagle, who you might've come across in Chicago, 
uh, runs it. And I mean, some of our team members have been volunteering with them on the side and they've just been in the trenches. They've been giving out like tens of thousands of like PPE kits all throughout COVID. They've been doing last mile food bank delivery. Even before COVID, they were training, you know, kids in communities all over the South and West side of Chicago on medic training for, you know, people who've been shot. They're, they're doing medic training for the protests. I mean, they're just, they've been there, they're doing it. And I just, I would look to see who are the groups that didn't just start doing things as a reaction, but have just been doing this work without looking for kind of the shout or, you know, like some people are just really great speakers, which in turn makes them really great on Twitter and Instagram. That doesn't, and that's important, but that doesn't mean that they're actually affecting change on the ground. So just do your homework and recognize what the difference is. And that's been like a bit of a sore kind of sore point for me. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to get caught up in the noise and the hype and the because there's just so many emotions and anyone with a heart feels it and we can get wrapped up into it. And I love your point about like, let's just pause and not be in reaction about this and really, really do our homework and become, be quiet for a minute. Be quiet, learn, and then act. Totally. You know? it's, it's, it's literally, if, if you take away anything else from this conversation, that is literally it. Like truly it's all, I'd rather you not, I mean, everyone, I'm I'm all for people posting and stepping up. And I know there's been a lot of people saying you have to post now if you're not posting now. But quite frankly, I almost rather you not post anything until you fully know what you're talking about and what you stand for and what you're involved in. I I don't want you to go that far, but just to make the point of like, just don't take, don't take forever. Don't be lackadaisical. Go into this with earnesty, but really do your homework. Yeah. And get centered and figure out what your lane is. Cause there's so many lanes to make change and all of us have unique gifts to do it. Like you have very unique gifts to connect and bridge and empower and create systems. Like you said, you know, others have a great voice, you know, others are going to become activists. Others are going to become great parents. So look, my, my fiance is a therapist and social worker. And, you know, she's donating. I mean, she already does a ton of pro bono therapy work regardless of everything going on, but she just donated additional hours with an, an organization, I think it was called Dark Beauty Health, I want to say. And uh, it's all about pro bono therapy hours for black women who, who need, need therapy. Please, please give that organization and all the organizations you were talking about. But I specifically want that one. That's an important one. I, I will definitely share that one. But yeah, I mean, there's coaches out there. There's all these different things that like, that is your superpower, like figure out, you know, there's a lot, if you're a growth hacker or you're great at social media or whatever it is, those are actually like hard to find skills and they're expensive to get to, to get it right. And I know this from just running my own business and Absolutely. finding out what people cost. So if you have that ability though, to have some extra hours that you can put forward to a black run business or a nonprofit to help them get off the ground. That's immeasurable. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. Is there anything left that you really want to share or, or hammer home before we leave here? Um, I, I would say, look, you know, definitely self-servingly follow breakout. Um, yes, you know, of course. We're just, you know, get involved with the grand challenges. We're putting up daily, you know, info sheets. We're sharing content. Um, definitely follow at Leon Ford Speaks to see his journey. He actually 
we have shared the video on our platforms, but he also just shared it on Instagram to make it a little easier. Um, and really, you know, his journey and message is super important. I think too often right now, we only talk about, you know, media only wants to talk about, you know, unfortunately, black men and women who've been killed. Um, Leon survived. And more often than not, there are other people who, whether they're being shot or just dealing with extreme trauma, uh, and what happens to them when the cameras are off. And I think his story and what he's gone through and how he's thinking about things and the way he's embraced therapy is a really powerful message. Um, so, you know, anyone watching his story and sharing it with a friend, I guarantee it will make your day. Yeah. What's your vision for the future for all of us? Oof, my vision for the future. Oh, I, that we just, we, we keep, we keep the same energy that we have right now and we don't let up because this is, this is life work. This, this isn't a week work and we go to brunch. This isn't, you know, this is, it doesn't mean that we can't have fun and we can't live a, a well-balanced life, but this is a lifetime work to really work towards hundreds and thousands of years of injustice and othering. And, you know, as Tanisi Coates says, you know, racism is, is the father of race, you know, and, and just these things that we have created so over time are so baked into us and we'd be foolish to think that it's not a lifetime of work ahead of us. So I, I don't want to say that in a pessimistic way. I actually see it as in a totally optimistic way because there's nothing to me that's more exciting that bringing like more equity and joy into people's lives. Uh, and also there's just so much we can do together. So, so. Yes. Thank you for being a bridge. Thank you for being a friend and thank you for building this incredible movement that now more people can get behind. So excited for what Breakout is going to continue to become and uh, where you go with this and all your community members go. So thank you, Barber. Appreciate you. So good to see you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please share this episode and DM us. We'd love to interact with you about all you learn and create from this. If you love this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to get real-time updates when all new episodes go live. And if you can, please leave us a review. It will help us grow our community and our message to support more leaders on their growth journey. If you want to continue to hang out with me, follow me on Instagram at Laura E. Holloway and subscribe to my weekly newsletter at lauraeholloway.com for weekly downloads, blogs, upcoming workshops, events, and more. Stay aligned and make your move. I'll see you next week.